it's certainly, I think, one of those areas where there's a lot of interest and excitement. I certainly, you know, have a have a keen eye on on how it's developing and some of the companies that are involved. There's two uh, Commonwealth Fusion and General Fusion. Um, neither are publicly listed companies. I think that we'll probably see one or or both of them list uh, in the next couple of years. Um, and so I think you know it's probably going to find its time in the sun with investors, and that we may see. Uh, a bit of the hype cycle come come to to this area once once we start to see a few of them hit the public markets, which could you know could forge some great opportunities for investors. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the mega trends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. I'm Sam Volkering, your editor here with my co-editor, Kit Winder. Thanks again, Kit, for joining us this week. Um, uh, a sad week for you, I, I know. Uh, the uh, the England test didn't play out the way you'd hoped. Um, I believe the term snatching defeat from the jaws of victory may be applicable. I mean, are, are you going okay? Have you recovered yet? Well, I uh, I was pretty astonished that we were in a position to lose the game on the last day rather than the third. So um, as an England fan at the moment, we'll take those small, small silver linings. Well, if it's any consolation, considering how bad you're going at the moment, it's, there's a very good likelihood that there won't even be an Ashes series to look forward to. Um, so you won't have to face the wrath of Australia um, I'm guessing I, that's 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 my take on it. I don't I, I don't think we're going to see an Ashes Test again for a couple of years. Well, uh, not given that the Australians are refusing to travel and anyone who wants to go. I mean, I see they're making their own Olympic athletes do a 28 day quarantine because you know having served their country so well, they need an extra 14 days on top of what everyone else has to do. Exactly. God forbid these fit, healthy people have to do even more quarantine. Just as a side note, they are constructing what they are calling a Centre for National Resilience in Melbourne, which is a quarantine facility, a 1,000 beds, with 500 to come online at the end of this year and another 500 to come online sometime next year, which indicates that certainly in Australia, they're not going to be dropping the quarantine thing uh, in any great hurry when they're dishing out significant contracts in the millions, you would have to guess, uh, to large construction corporations to build new quarantine facilities. But this isn't a podcast about quarantine or cricket. This is a podcast about exponential investing. And I saw something, Kit, uh, when was it? I think it was earlier this week, uh, that I really want to pick your brain about because I, for long I've written about this for a long time. And to be honest, it's a, it's an area it's of the, uh, the energy markets that has always been, I think we might have even discussed it a couple of times in this podcast before. I'm not sure. I think we have. We probably would have. Uh, it's the idea of fusion energy. Now, I know that fusion energy is always another 10 years away, seemingly, but it appears that this week a significant step forward towards fusion ignition has been made uh, at the US, at a laboratory in the US, the US National Ignition Facility. Um, now, what they've managed to do, and I've, I've got the, I've got a, a, a news report here in front of me uh, that says uh, the the laser beam on a pellet the diameter of a human hair was able to generate more than ten 
quadrillion watts of fusion power for 100 trillionths of a second. That doesn't seem like much because it's not much and it's certainly not uh, abundant fusion energy. But, uh, but it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work going on for, for, for fusion power, for fusion energy. And I want to, I want to get your view on, and, and you may disagree that it's even possible, which is fine, but let's, let, let's play devil's advocate here. Let's say it is possible in our lifetime, in your lifetime and my lifetime, scientists are able to achieve nuclear fusion. What what does that do to to the energy markets? What does that do to solar and wind power and, and hydroelectric? What does it do in a post-scarcity economy when if we if we do or can achieve nuclear fission, uh, nuclear fusion, sorry? Uh well it's a I mean it's a really good question. My my first point to the question I thought you were gonna ask is nuclear fusion might be amazing, but it's probably Going to come around too late to save the climate crisis so we should sort of focus on the things that we can do this year um because carbon has a sort of compounding effect over time and so it matters more to take a, a carbon molecule carbon dioxide molecule out of the air today than it does in 20 years time um but in terms of uh if we already have a, a complete energy transition with solar and wind and decarbonized natural gas and um you know a, a balanced carbon budget and then nuclear fusion comes along then it's only a question of applicability and economics, really. So if it uh, is very uh, capital intensive to build and requires a lot of space, then you would do it in the, you know, the deserts and countrysides of developed nations. But it's possible that decentralized solar energy, you know, a hundred panels in a very small, uh, you know, village in in a rural area, is more applicable for that, and it doesn't really need nuclear fusion energy. Um, so I think that's something that is probably true in, in the current energy transition that we're having, that there's not there's no one solution fits all. There's no global energy market. There are hundreds and thousands of smaller energy applications and needs which are being met by, you know, a, a wide variety of different things. And, and nuclear fusion can hopefully at some stage be added to that mix. Yeah, indeed. And, and I, I think I kind of take that view is that I, I I do genuinely believe that we will achieve uh, that uh, that crossover point where the cost uh, to produce is less than the, the sorry the output is more than the cost to produce so the economic uh, benefit of of nuclear fusion I believe we'll achieve that in our lifetime but in that saying that that it's more than likely to happen when a fair chunk of the transition to green and renewable energy has already taken place. Um, which and and always looking looking ahead and looking forward and looking for investment opportunities that that if that's the case then then you know we, we, oh, I mean I've been trying to hunt out nuclear fusion opportunities for a while but there's never really anything available I think that will change over the next few years um, and certainly it's an, an area I'll I'll be watching and looking at with great detail but yeah I was just I was curious as to how that would impact I mean for me it, it feels like the impact it could have to Renewable markets is sort of almost equivalent to the impact that renewable mar- renewable markets now are having to uh, fossil fuel markets. Is that it could be a significant disruptor to those? I mean, time will tell, but it feels like it's almost a transition beyond the current transition, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I suppose my thing with nuclear fusion is we have no current line of sight on what you know the costs or practicalities would be, and that you know 
solar power was put on a, a NASA satellite in 1967 or something. And, um, you know, so we had the capabilities. And then 50 years later, around 2010, there was sort of large scale manufacturing, but only in the last decade has it come down and cost so much, something like 85%, um, that it becomes economically viable. And so while nuclear fusion, again, I, I, I've got to say, I'm speaking about something I don't know a huge amount, but my questions would be around. So yeah, I guess uh, the, the thing is only that uh, even if we do crack the physics and the chemistry of it, the, the costs and the practicalities are a whole nother question. They say that um, you know an invention is one thing, but taking an invention to, uh, to market successfully is a whole nother. And uh, that will be as true with nuclear fusion, if not more so than with, with all of the energy uh, technologies we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, you know it's always something to consider with any any sort of uh, you know breakthrough or or new kind of technology development or innovation. It's it's one thing to to have it working in a lab. Uh, it's it's one thing to be able to prove a concept uh, to get an MVP in 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 some situations a minimum viable product. Uh, it's another thing to mass commercialize. To roll out at, at um, you know at reasonable uh, reasonable cost to to produce and to transport and to get it from A to B you know you, like you say you're talking about entire a whole different ball game when it comes to the infrastructure needed to then get said energy from from place to place wherever it may be generated and located so you know it's it's certainly I think one of those areas where there's a lot of interest and excitement. I certainly you know have a have a keen eye on on how it's developing and some of the companies that are involved there's two uh, Commonwealth Fusion and General Fusion. Um, neither are publicly listed companies. I think that we'll probably see one or or both of them list uh, in the next couple of years. Um, and so I think you know it's probably going to find its time in the sun with investors and that we may see. Uh, a bit of the hype cycle come come to to this area once once we start to see a few of them hit the public markets, which could you know could forge some great opportunities for investors on the promise and idea uh, rather than maybe some of the practicalities that might exist behind it. So again, one to to keep an eye on for for the future, but certainly I think uh, like you say, there's no. There's no uh, silver bullet. There is no one size fits all outcome. And like there isn't today, there won't be tomorrow, regardless of what the energy mix is. We know it's going to be uh, continuously improved upon, technology improving, cost decreasing, uh, access for people to get their hands on as well. So it is, it's a very broad, interesting market. I mean, if you want to speak of the breadth of it, even this, this, this week, uh, in exponential investor, you know, uh, we were writing about um, BHP shaking off its oil and gas business to Woodside Petroleum in Australia. I mean, BHP, one of the biggest mining resource companies in the world, shaking out their oil and gas division. Um, you know, there's a lot of change happening uh, in 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 markets in around energy and resources and mining and materials. Uh, and I think that it's there's going to be. I think we might see some even even bigger opportunities coming in this space. It's certainly something I'm turning my attention back towards. Not necessarily just the energy transition, but um, mining and resources and minerals as well, which I've probably neglected a little bit over the last couple of years. But uh, certainly turned my attention back to. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities in this space. So. Another one for investors, I think, to keep an eye out for. But anyway, we'll leave it there this week. Uh, thanks again, Kit, for jumping on to the podcast. 
Um, again, thanks for listening in. If you've obviously got any questions, feel free to write into us and we'll be happy to cover them in this podcast. Uh, but have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back again with you next week. Bye for now.